Uh, well, happy Father's Day and, and good morning, Christ Church. If we've never had the opportunity to interact before, my name's Charlie Browning, and I'm one of the pastors here on our staff team and specifically serve in the role as our Butterfield campus pastor. Uh, and I was reflecting the other day, I was reflecting on what an incredible thing it is that our church gather, gathers together in so many different contexts for worship every single week. I mean, in person at multiple different campuses and at some campuses in multiple different venues and styles within that campus and then online throughout multiple different states. It's an incredible thing to be part of a church that gathers together at the feet of Jesus every single work week in so many different capacities. And so I just wanna say hello to all of you in all of those different capacities. <laughs> hi to those of you who are joining us online. Hi to those of you who are joining us at our Butterfield campus, uh, a place near and dear to my heart. And then hi to those of you who are joining us at our Oakbrook campus. It's so good to be together. You know, it, it's often said that some of life's most profound truths are also its most obvious ones. And so humor me for a second as I, I put on my Captain Obvious hat and I give that a shot. <laughs> <clears throat> Sometimes life is good, and sometimes life is difficult. Uh, profound and obvious, maybe. Profound and obvious. You see, throughout the scope of human history, and definitely probably as we chart our own personal lives, we can say that we've experienced peaks of goodness and valleys of difficulty. And even as you're engaging with this message right now, you can probably categorize your life as one of those two things. That you've experienced your life at this point, right in this moment, to be described as good or to be described as difficult. You see, goodness and difficulty, it's sort of the human experience. And this has been true throughout all of time, but I feel like it's especially true today. You see, I feel like this is especially true and it becomes especially clear to us today. You see, today as we celebrate in this country two distinct holidays in one day, we celebrate Juneteenth and Father's Day together, both of which give us a particular lens into the fact that sometimes life is good and sometimes life is difficult. I mean, Juneteenth, for example, a day that absolutely gives us a lens in the fact that sometimes life is good. We get to reflect and celebrate today on the day that the last Confederate state acknowledged the emancipation of black Americans from slavery, a day that can only be categorized as good in the fact that it admired and acknowledged the dignity and the respect that every single person made in the image of God deserves. And it's a holiday that gives us a lens into the fact that life is difficult. Difficult in the fact that we have to confront the reality that slavery ever existed at all. Or that even today, if we're honest with ourselves, we're still, as a country, undoing and untangling some of the cruel and unjust ways that institutions and individuals can treat brothers and sisters who are made in the image of God. You see, Juneteenth is a day that gives us a lens into the reality that sometimes life is good and sometimes life is difficult. And then, of course, there's Father's Day. Father's Day, a day that for so many 
gives the lens in the fact that life is good. For so many people, today was an easy day to get up. Your step is a little bit lighter because today is a good day. You see, you're a dad and you're feeling the incredible blessing of that today. Or you have a dad and you just cannot wait to celebrate him because he's worth celebrating. Or you know a dad or a father figure who has played an influential role in your life that absolutely deserves celebrating and honoring. You see, for so many, today is a day of goodness. I feel some of that today. You see, I have a dad that's absolutely worth celebrating today. That's him, and my wife, Allie, always jokes that at least she knows what I'm going to look like in 30 years. (laughs) And he's here today, all the way from Indianapolis, showcasing the type of dad that he is, a dad that I so admire and respect, and a dad that has had played such a role in my own life in shaping me and forming me and who I am today. You see, because of him, waking up today is easy. Father's Day is a day that I get a particular lens into the goodness of life. But Father's Day is also one of those days that can give us a lens into the difficulty of life. I mean, for some people, today is a day where it's harder to get up. Your legs feel a little heavier. You dread today. It's a day that stares you in the face with difficulty. You see, maybe because your dad's no longer here with us. Or maybe because you've always desired to be a dad, but it just hasn't happened. Or because your dad's here with us, but he's just not present at all in your life. Or because you are a dad, but your journey as a dad, it's just been filled with anguish and pain and despair. For so many people, today is a day full of difficulty. I feel some of that today, too. I thought I was going to be a dad. Uh, Three times I've thought I was and anticipated being a dad. This is from one of those times. These are my little buddy's handprints. The doctor gave us this card the day that our pregnancy ended. And so for me and many others, today is also a day that gives lens into the fact that life is difficult. You see, Father's Day and Juneteenth, two days that we celebrate today, and two holidays that gives the lens into this reality that sometimes life is good and sometimes life is difficult. And now I want you to picture your very best life. I want you to vividly picture your very best life, where you are, who you're with, what you're doing, what it looks like, how you feel. And as you picture your very best life, I want you to answer this question to yourself. I want you to answer the question, the very best life that you're picturing, 
Is it a good life or is it a difficult life? I'm not a mind reader, although it wouldn't be a bad thing to be able to do, but I'm not a mind reader. And yet I can imagine that 100% of people who are engaging in this activity right now, 100% of people pictured a good life. You see, because our very best life it's synonymous with having a good life. Like, we can't live our very best life if our life isn't good. Right? I mean, right? But what if, what if the Apostle Paul had a different thought? What if the Apostle Paul, and what if our scriptures, what if God's word actually had a different thought? What if God's word could actually imagine us living our very best life, regardless of if life is good or if life is difficult? You see, because common sense in the world around us seems to communicate that, that in order for us to live our best life, we have to have a good life. But the gospel, the gospel tells us that we can live our very best life even when life is difficult. Because according to the scriptures, our best life is not based on our circumstances. No, our best life is based on how we respond to those circumstances. Rick Rigsby says it well, and he says, you cannot control what happens to you. But you can control how you respond. You see, I think the scripture's version of living our best life is one that says we can live our best life not based on our circumstances, but based on how we respond to those circumstances. And so let let me paint a picture for you real quick. Let me paint a picture of the life of Paul in the Philippian church about 2,000 years ago as he's writing the book of Philippians. Paul's sitting in a jail cell. He's running out of money for his ministry. And he's not sure how much longer the Roman government is even going to let him live. And meanwhile, in the Philippian church, two of its key leaders are in a superheated dispute. And meanwhile, a bunch of people within the congregation are significantly struggling with their own mental health. Their minds are consumed with all kinds of of unhealthy things. And meanwhile, the society around them is just putting a ton of pressure on them to conform to the patterns of its world and to worship other gods. You see, sometimes life is good and sometimes life is difficult. We're at that very moment that Paul's writing this book. For him in the Philippian church, life sure seems difficult. Life sure seems difficult. Difficult. Well, you see, over the course of the last few weeks, we've been journeying through a sermon series that's taking a look at the book of Philippians and exactly how the Apostle Paul defines what it means to live our very best life right now. And in the midst of these circumstances, as he's writing this book from jail, the Apostle Paul, as we open up in chapter four today, makes one of his most audacious claims that I think he makes throughout the entire scripture. He makes the claim that our very best life is possible even amidst the difficulty. 
he makes the claim that it's possible for you and I to live our very best life right now, even when life is difficult. And that's what he's trying to get across to us in our text today as we open up to Philippians 4, starting in verse 2. Paul says this. He says, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near, he says. And do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers and sisters, he concludes, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is Paul's encouragement for the church as to how the church at that time and how you and I and the church of Jesus Christ today are called to respond to the difficult parts of life. He doesn't give an outline. He, he doesn't present a PowerPoint. It's not a bullet point list. No, instead what he does is he, he takes this passage and he weaves this beautiful encouragement together. All with the intention of sharing, here's what it might look like for you and I and how we are called to respond in the midst of difficulty. And so join me for the next few minutes as we just seek to figure out what he might have to say to you and me and how we are called as people who follow him to respond to the difficult parts of life. He, he picks up and begins in verse two. He's explaining the situation between Yodia and Syntyche, two prominent women leaders in the church. They have so much influence and authority and leadership within the church that they're in a disagreement and this disagreement is significantly impacting everybody else in the life of the church. And Paul doesn't necessarily tell us what they're arguing about. He doesn't necessarily tell us the crux of the argument. He doesn't even seem to be concerned about that. Instead, what he's concerned about is how they're called to respond in the midst of a really difficult relationship. And so part of his encouragement about how they're called to respond in the midst of that is he encourages them to be of the same mind. He says to them that he wants them to be of the same mind. You see, the way that Paul 
compels you and I, the way he compels them and you and I today to respond in the midst of difficult relationships is to lean into reconciliation. To lean into reconciliation. And we do this by being of the same mind. Like, well, it would be helpful to know what it means to be of the same mind. I actually think it's helpful to start with what it does not mean in Paul's words, to be of the same mind. Being of the same mind, according to Paul, does not mean agreeing. You see, what, it's, it's, it's helpful to notice what he does not say here to Yodi and Syntyche. He does not say, I want you to agree on every single thing. I, I need you, every single point in your argument to align exactly the way that it's supposed to with the other person. He doesn't say that, nor does he say, hey, one of you is obviously extremely wrong in this instance, and one of you obviously has it exactly right, and I need the person who's extremely wrong, I need you to flip on everything that you believe or think, and I need you to follow what this extremely right person has in their opinion. He doesn't say that either. If he would have done either of those two things, it would have been nicer and cleaner. I mean, everything would have fit in this nice little box. It would have been easier for us to figure out. Here's exactly what this person's supposed to think and not supposed to think, the opinion they're supposed to have or not supposed to have, but he doesn't do that. You see, and oftentimes as we follow the thread of the scriptures, that the scripture had no interest in the midst of difficult relationships, of agreement, or just falling in line. No, it has an interest in reconciliation. You see, that's why Paul says, our call in the midst of difficult relationships is to lean into reconciliation. And we do that by being of the same mind. Well, if we know what being of the same mind is not, then what is it? Being of the same mind, the best that I can do to define what that is, is two things, according to Paul. One, it's that we would share a devotion to Jesus. That, that we would be all in on him and on following him. And that second, we'd share a devotion to having enough humility to work alongside one another, even in the midst of some disagreements. That, Paul says, is what it means to be of the same mind. And so in the midst of difficult relationships, what he's calling us to do is to lean into reconciliation by being of the same mind. He picks up and continues on in verse 4. As he, as he throws the Philippians a little bit of a curveball here, something that I, I guarantee they didn't expect to read in this part of the letter, as he gives us a, them to the encouragement to rejoice in the Lord. <laughs> I wish I could have been in the room. I wish I could have been in the room when that was read out loud. You see, Paul would have handed this letter to, to somebody, and they would have taken it to the Philippian church, at which point they would have opened the letter and read it out loud in front of the entire congregation, and I wish I could have been there. Can you imagine standing in a room full of people who are going through, as we mentioned earlier, a pretty difficult time? And Paul has the audacity to write to them and say that his call for them to respond in the midst of it is to celebrate and rejoice. To rejoice and celebrate in who God is. What a bold bold encouragement for him to give. 
I can't imagine what it would have been like to be in that room at that time, going through something really difficult, and to hear those words, I want you to rejoice and celebrate in who your God is. That was his call for the Philippian church, and that's his call for us today to respond in the difficult times. It makes me think that in order for that to be any sort of reasonable or rational, in order for it to make any sort of sense for us to go through something difficult and and for our response to that difficulty to be to rejoice and celebrate in who God is, it makes me think the only way that's at all reasonable and rational is if we serve a really, really good God. A, A good God in a way that we can't even imagine and fathom in our finiteness. That would be the only way that that encouragement, that that response would make any sort of sense. Which makes me think that Paul must be convinced that we serve a really, really good God. I just wonder if you're convinced of that too. He continues on in verse 6. And and in verse 6, Paul picks this up and and he acknowledges something that he hasn't acknowledged to this point in the text. He acknowledges something about the difficulties of life. He recognizes that the difficulties of life, they don't just exist out there. They're not just external things. They're not just the things that happen to us or our circumstances around us. No, he acknowledges, starting at this point in the text, that so much of the difficulty of life is internal. So much of the difficulty of life are the things that we carry around every single day, the mental and emotional weight that we experience in our own lives and that we carry around every day that nobody else can see. The anxiety, the depression, the stress, the insecurity, the list could go on and on. Paul's acknowledging, starting in this point in the text, that this, this internal stuff, it's a significant part of the difficulty of life. And so here's what his call then is to respond in the midst of experiencing real difficulty in the internal stuff that we carry every single day. He encourages the Philippian church to prayerfully present their requests to God. Uh, Another translation just says it this way. It says, make your concern known to him. It's like, just tell him. I don't know, shout it at him or something. Paul's like, just tell him. He wants to hear it. Paul's call in the midst of experiencing some of the difficult, difficult stuff that we go through internally is for us to bring everything to God. All of it. Every single bit of it. You see, it it strikes me, and I, I just think through my own experience that this is one of, if not the hardest thing to do in our world today. To take all of the stuff, the stress, the anxiety, the despair, the list goes on and on, all the stuff that we harbor internally that weighs heavy on us inside of us and to give that actually to God is one of the hardest things that I think we can do. 
I think it's one of the hardest things because it challenges us at the very core. It challenges us if we believe that God's good enough and that he's big enough to take all of that. The challenge is whether or not we actually believe that. Is God good enough for him to take all of this? And is he big enough to actually deal with it? Well, what it's worth coming from me, he absolutely is. I know that for a fact. I know that because he's a God that came down from heaven, made himself in the likeness of a mere human being, walked along this earth, experienced the most painful death you could possibly imagine on the cross, and then three days later conquered the grave, rose back to life, and is now seated back on his heavenly throne. And he did all of that to prove to you and to prove to me that he is absolutely big enough and he's absolutely good enough to take all the stuff that we're carrying. And so Paul calls us with that in mind in the midst of the difficult things that we carry in life to give it all to him knowing full well he can handle it. He concludes in Verse 8, giving us one last encouragement about how we're called to respond in the midst of difficult times. Paul says, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever is right, pure, lonely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, he says, think about such things. You see, when we're going through a difficult time, the way that Paul calls us to respond in the midst of this difficult time is to be aware of our thoughts. To be aware of our thoughts. Which, which begs the question, uh, what do you think about? I mean, what occupies your mind on a daily basis? Are they thoughts that are good and constructive and edifying? Are they thoughts that are dark and unhealthy and destructive? Or are you even aware enough to know what occupies your mind on a daily basis? Are you even aware enough to know? You see, Paul calls us to respond in the midst of difficulty by being, to be aware of our thoughts because he knows a simple truth about all human beings, myself included, that when we experience difficulty, our minds don't naturally go to the good stuff. Uh, at least if you're like me. When I am experiencing the midst of difficulty, my mind does not naturally go to the good and healthy thoughts. No, it spirals like this. <laughs> down to the unhealthy stuff. And so that's why Paul calls us to be aware of our thoughts. Because being aware of our thoughts is at least step one in the possibility of being able to redirect those toward the good. My, I was having a conversation with my therapist one time and she challenged me to take a day and write down in my phone, take out a, make a note in my notes tab and just list every single thing that occupied my mind. I thought it was the stupidest idea. <laughs> 
but I did it because she asked me to. And I remember going through it, and I did that for the entire day, made notes on my phone, and then the next day, I woke up, and in the morning, I'm like, I'm going to spend a little bit of time just flipping through, scrolling through what occupied my mind yesterday. So I pull out my phone, and I start looking through, and it was about one scroll through, and my knees got a little bit weaker, and my back started to tighten up, and I thought, oh my gosh. That occupied my mind yesterday? I thought about that how many times yesterday? I mean, my mind was blown. I could not believe it. That these things occupy my mind every single day. I was totally unaware of it. But it was one of the most healthy things, one of the most healthy activities that I have ever done. Because an awareness of what actually occupied my mind has been step one in a positive direction toward, especially when faced with difficulty, being able to be aware of some of the things that my mind usually goes to and then have the potential to redirect them towards the things that I want my mind to go to in those situations. And so Paul calls us in the midst of difficulty to be aware of our thoughts. What do you think about? What occupies your mind. Being aware of it, he seems to think, will make such a difference. Paul seems convinced. He seems convinced that our best life is possible right now, even in the midst of difficulty. You see, because according to the scripture, our best life, it's not based on our circumstances. No, our best life is based on how we respond to those circumstances. And so he gives us in this text some ways and some principles that we might have the opportunity to respond in the midst of difficulty. But we don't respond alone. No, he finishes this passage and he says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Mimic me as I mimic Christ, Paul is saying. You see, we all need examples. We all need examples because some of the things we've looked at today in this text, they're incredibly good things. But nothing replaces the opportunity to see somebody go before you and do it so that you can watch and learn from them and then go put it into practice yourself, which is why Father's Day is such a day worth celebrating, because we all need examples. When I was five, my dad took me to a baseball game. He tells the story so well since I was five, and I don't remember much of it. We're sitting at the baseball game, and He's sitting in the chair next to me, and he recalls sitting in his seat, legs crossed right over left, one hand behind his head, tossing popcorn into his mouth with his eyes fixated on home plate. And then he turns and looks at me. His five-year-old son, sitting in my chair, legs crossed, 
right over left, hand behind my head, tossing popcorn into my mouth, eyes fixated on home plate. We all need examples. And whether it's example of how to watch a baseball game or how to respond to the difficulties of life, praise God for the fathers and father figures who have modeled for you and me what it means to live our very best life right now. Amen. We're going to do something different to close out our service this morning. A few of my friends are going to come up on stage. And we're going to close the sermon or the service with a bit of a prayer time. A prayer in honor of fathers and what Father's Day means to every single one of us in the various ways that it does. So I invite you to engage with this time however you see fit. But maybe you get comfortable and spend some time just in a position that allows you to reflect on the fact that life is good and life is difficult. Mm-hmm.